0: This is the Reclaiming Families podcast.
1: It is our goal to expose the lies that undermine, erode, and destroy the family while discovering and reclaiming God's design for gender, marriage, family, and sexuality.
0: So join us for open conversation about the struggles and joys of Reclaiming Families. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Reclaiming Families. Absolutely. We are glad you're here with us. Hey, we just want to remind you before we jump in, we do have a special treat for you. But before we get um, on with that, I guess, um, we would love to remind you that if you're listening to this and think that, you know, it's a good podcast, I suppose, then give us some stars, preferably five.
1: Yeah, at least five.
0: Yeah. Rate and review us. Leave a little comment. The more um, rating and reviewing that happens, the more this podcast is going to get out. So we would appreciate that. Hey, you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Reclaiming Families. Um,
1: Check out the website, reclaimingfamilies.org.
0: Yeah, and on there you can find tons. Well, not tons. (laughs) You can find a few. Different resources and blogs, our different podcast episodes, so uh, check us out there, but let's dive in.
1: This week, we have a special treat. We have a guest who is here to talk us through a two-part series about a bit of a heavy topic, uh, but absolutely important topic. It's about uh, Gen Zs and their susceptibility to sex trafficking.
0: That's right. So we have one of my professors, Dr. Crystal Humphreys, with us today. She is one of my professors in the clinical mental health program at Grace College, and she has quite a few years of experience in counseling, and she's worked in schools with adolescents, with teenagers, as well as with um, some women that have come out of sex trafficking. So she's also done a good bit of research and has an expertise in uh, the susceptibility of Gen Zs and being trafficked. So, Dr. Humphries, welcome to Reclaiming
2: Families. Thank you for having me, Hillary. Hillary is she's one of my good ones. So, <laughs> don't tell the others. Yeah, thank you.
1: She's always sweating You're about welcome. grades, and, and she's only made A's the entire time in grad, grad school.
2: I know. I don't think I've I don't think I've ever failed her on anything. So there's really not.
1: Yeah, that's funny. She,
2: well, anyways, <laughs> Dr. Humphreys, tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, um, I'm originally from Lubbock, Texas, so that's right. the home of my alma mater, Texas Tech University, my Red Raiders. I love them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I kind of started, well, first of all, I'll just tell you that um, I'm a military spouse, so we move quite often, currently in Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah. But I've lived all over the place, New Mexico, um, a couple of different places in Texas. Uh, right before this, I was in the Minneapolis. In a don't ever, don't try it at home. Um, and now we're here. So, you know, I kind of travel around and my husband's been in the Marine Corps for a very long time. Yeah. So eventually, we're going to be done in about a year and a half. Oh,
0: wow.
2: That's a awesome. lot. Yeah, he's about to retire. Well, it's exciting it is exciting so I kind of got into you know sex trafficking it is a heavy topic and I, I realized that um not everybody enjoys hearing about it um sometimes I don't even enjoy hearing about it right but this is really something that God really laid on my heart so when we were living in the Dallas area uh really trying to figure out what i was going to do like specialize in you know when you get your phd they're kind of like what are you going to do with yourself what are you going to specialize in you have to pick something so i really just asked god what do you want me to do and uh, i was already working with teenagers i uh, worked a lot with uh, cutters and that's kind of what i was doing at the moment i was working at a partial hospitalization facility and really just said you know god what do you want me to do and Uh, picked up a book at a conference and read through the entirety of it a biography an autobiography um, of a girl a real girl that was suffered from trafficking she was a survivor and she now goes around the world and speaks and it just really broke my heart and I knew I had to do something about it so that's kind of where that was and I was like really god this is what you want me to do yeah Um, but I I knew that that's where where he wanted me to be and you know what he wanted me to to work on so got involved in my home my home church which I still consider my home church is a gateway church in South Lake Texas and uh, started teaching some classes with my husband there some equip classes and um met a woman from Chattanooga, Tennessee. That's right. So, Tennessee. So, yeah, she was from Chattanooga. And um she actually started a foundation, the Alliance for Freedom, Restoration and Justice. Uh she's working in a lawyer as a lawyer there in South Lake. But uh she built a little small house in Chattanooga, a tiny house so they could travel back and forth. Cause she still thinks that's her home. But I started really working with her and uh, she got me kind of involved in I guess like the research aspect and uh the legal issues. She talked to me a lot about the the legal stuff that goes along with sex trafficking. We're really behind mm-hmm. um on being able to prosecute traffickers and I've you know it's like we're constantly trying to catch up. Yeah. So uh you know she really got me involved in that area. Then I got involved in a safe house there in the Dallas area and worked with some women and young girls. Um, that was a hard, a hard time just because it was very heavy and, you know, seeing girls that I had a, a girl who had been beaten um, the night before by her pimp and actually the minister, it was a ministry, wow. and um, the minister who found her found her naked on the street and so her, wow. her eyes had been uh, beaten shut. And they were swollen. She just she couldn't open her eyes. So there was pus. So our first session together, she just had like pus coming out of the eyes.
0: Wow.
2: Um, addicted to drugs. We had to stick her in a bathtub and do the whole detox process before we could do counseling. Um, but yeah, I mean there was some some heavy stuff, but there was a lot of good stuff there. A lot of growth that happened there with those girls. So it's good work. There's not enough of it out there. So that's that's kind of my story and how I got involved in the whole thing.
1: Absolutely. And I'm super thankful for, you know you just saying, hey, I want to spend my PhD on sex trafficking and uh, to bring some light to it, and and I really think that it's this heavy-handed issue that, you know, it's so easy to ignore it. It feels like, like for me, it's so easy to push it to the side and pretend it doesn't happen, and uh, just go about my life. And but the more I am confronted with it, it's kind of like oh, the, there's a William Wilberforce quote. He's like, you, it's basically the idea that. Uh, you can uh, look away, but you can no longer say you never knew, or some on a premise, I guess. And I butchered that up. I know yeah. I did, but <laughs> um, but yeah, it's yeah, uh, it's powerful. And it, uh, it's
2: easy, people would rather ignore it, right? It's it's something that people don't want to. They don't really want to know that it's happening. Like I, I think about even a week ago, my husband had to go to the back doctor. And uh, we walk in there, and he's, like, talking to my husband about this back surgery that he needs. But since he's in the military, we really need to wait till he retires. And so the doctor asks me what I do. Well, when people do that, it kind of opens up, you know, like a can of worms. And yeah. he's he's curious. And he's a young doctor, maybe in his 30s. And um, he starts asking me more and more questions. You know, well, where is this happening? It doesn't happen here, right? And I'm like, wait, wait you're in in a big population area. I-35 is right here. It goes all the way to Canada, down to Mexico. It happens every day here. It happens yeah. every day. And he was just like in shock. And so we left that doctor's appointment and I felt, I felt like I just completely ruined his entire day. But I mean, he really didn't know anything about it Um, and kept saying, but it doesn't happen here. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's happening on your block. It's happening you know, everywhere, but it's, it's just easier for people to ignore. And I was almost shocked that a young doctor who works with people every day, right. Really did not know anything about it. Um, so that was kind of, you know, and I know people don't know about it, but when you, when you see a physician, you think would be educated in some sort of medical program about it and really just know that he knew nothing about it, um, was really shocking. Yeah. So,
0: I mean, even with that being said, it's not always what we assume, like it's not always mm. Liam Neeson and, you know, that no. sort of stuff. So when you're trying to help someone understand what human trafficking is, like, what what do you tell them? What is human trafficking?
2: So human trafficking is is not what people think, you know, like Hollywood portrays it as this kids are getting snatched up and they're getting taken or they're a bunch of illegal immigrants and they're all in chains in the back of a truck. Does that happen? Yes. That just happened a couple of years ago coming through Texas. As a matter of fact, they they had an 18 wheeler with a bunch of illegal immigrants in the back who are being trafficked. That does happen, but that's the minority of how it happens. So how it happens is, um, you know, a lot of times you'll see family members that sell um, their their family members at truck stops, or you see girls go to school and um, they'll leave in the afternoon and they will go meet their pimp at the hotel after school. And then they go to school the next day. So these are, these are things that happen right underneath our noses. Um, And, you know, like when I was in the Dallas area, I knew a lot of school counselors and I did my research with school counselors is actually where my research was done. But one of the school counselors knew of three girls in her school that she suspected were being trafficked. Um, and the police were watching them, but it takes a long time for police to be able to get these traffickers. They have to sit there and wait and watch for long periods of time to get enough information and enough stuff so that they can take them in. Um, so that's really hard. And the girls, um, are so manipulated and they're, you know, completely broken in their mind that they return. They a lot of times they'll let them leave and they'll go right back and they know, you know, they know that the girls will come back. Um they'll get them pregnant so that they have an attachment to them. You know, they're given gifts. And um I'll give an example from my own family, which I I don't know, Hillary, if I ever told you this. Did I tell you about my cousin? I did. Yeah. So I'll just tell this little story. And this is really what trafficking looks like mm-hmm. uh, before trafficking was around in the early eighties. Um, I was really small and in the high school that I graduated from my older cousin was going to high school there. And I was maybe four or five years old. And, um, she goes to school every day. And this man would come in the parking lot and drive around the parking lot and tell her how beautiful she was. She get a modeling job. Um, and he could make a better life for her. She was living in poverty. My aunt and uncle lived in poverty. And so they, uh, she didn't have much. And she was a very pretty girl. So he, she was like, oh, I can have a better life. And he talked to her for months in that parking lot. He would go during lunchtime, after school, he would go and try and lure her in the vehicle. So she goes to school one day. And she gets in the car with him. And we don't see her. And we don't really know what's going on, you know, as a family. And I remember my my grandparents crying all the time and my aunt calling my mom. And um, she was missing for almost two years. It was about a year and a half. Wow. And we had no idea where she was. Uh, she was found by the U.S. Marshals a year and a half later, and she was in prostitution in Houston. Mm. And, you know, Houston, while still in Texas, from Lubbock, is about 12 hours away. So she was pretty far from home. She had actually gone to Europe. He had taken her to Europe at some point and then brought her back to Texas. And it was this whole, it was this whole ordeal. So, you know, we didn't really know that that was trafficking. And I don't think my family knows that that's what that was. Yeah. Uh, it's on, it's on a so my family's panic, and there's, um, a lot of so low socioeconomic status in there. And, uh, they just don't really understand. My grandparents were immigrants, didn't speak English. So there's just some barriers there um, culturally. And they, I don't know, I just don't think my family even knows. She may not even know that she was trafficked. Yeah. Um, but when I started doing this research and then started talking to my mom, I was like, well, that's what it was. Mm. That's exactly what it was. But in the 80s, there was no such thing as human trafficking. So the guy ended up being charged with um, kidnapping And so, uh, you know, today he would have been charged with trafficking. So that's what trafficking really looks like in our society. It's really under your nose. And the, the high school I went to was a very good high school. It's one of the best high schools, um, in the Lubbock area. So that's, you know, that happened a long time ago. So I think we think trafficking is a new thing, but it's been around for a very long time.
0: And it,
1: Go ahead.
0: It sounds like it's a, it's a lot more subtle than what people realize. Like, it's not like this break in your house, come kidnap you or something, you know, that mm-hmm. happens. Um, but it just sounds like it's a, a gradual process and it's very subtle is what you're saying.
2: Yeah. So it, it is subtle. And what you see is grooming. So we call it grooming. Um, there's different types of grooming. There's cyber grooming. Um and then you have your traditional grooming. And the traditional grooming is kind of what I was telling you about with my cousin where he there's a promise of a better life. They'll often give them gifts. Um, they'll meet them outside of the school. They'll say, you know, I can do this for you, I can give you a home, I can you can make money. There's you know, modeling gigs somewhere. And yeah. so they gain the trust of that person. They also will look for um, they'll go to the mall and look for vulnerable girls like who who have self-esteem issues or who, you know, like young girls who will want to look for older men to date or something like that. Um, a, one of the ones I'm, I'm thinking about is a, a Senator here in the United States. His daughter was trafficked and he was a Senator, uh, 15 years old and she was trafficked by a trafficking ring. So a trafficking ring is a group of people who their sole purpose is to traffic somebody, but they all play a different role. So she met somebody at the mall uh, when she was 15 years old. He was 22, very, you know, attractive, charming, um, asked for her number, and he or she thought he was calling her every day after this day that they met, and they talked for four or five months on the phone. Well, she found out later that the person she was talking to was another member of the ring, but but was not actually the person that she met. Mm. So the person that she met was the attractive person that could lure the girl in for the phone number. And then the other person was the one that was good at building relationships and good with emotional stuff with young girls. So he was able to connect with her. Um, It's very complex and they all know their parts and they play a role. and so these rings will get together and play the role and then they have somebody that will take them and kidnap them and prepare them for the sex industry
1: i think i think what gets me a little bit confused about sex trafficking is that there's almost like to a a willingness right like uh you just mentioned your you know cousin so like she Mm -hmm. wanted to you know meet with that guy and get in the car wanted a better life Mm -hmm. wanted to go and and I think that's what makes it so difficult to, you know, wrap my mind around it because you have this, in one sense, you kind of have this willingness and then this manipulation mm-hmm. and and so and then it's like exploiting vulnerabilities. And so it's just a it just makes it so complex, I think, with the willingness component. Because you know, yeah. for example, around here there's a group called Raising a Voice. And they do sex trafficking in Knoxville here, and and we go down there. It's at East Knoxville, and we basically give out bags to these women who are, you know, at mm-hmm. these motels and stuff, and and they're all choosing to be there free. You know, like mm-hmm. they're not they're not running away, trying to get away. They're that's what they want to do. They like that's their that's their role. Mm-hmm. And but we know that they're also being, they're being exploited, and they, yeah, you know, they're. they're probably feel trapped and like, yeah, I don't understand all the the emotions of it by any means. You know, I'm just kind of like, right. I just know that uh, I'm trying to connect them to this women's center, you know, for them to build relationships with. And, and so, Mm -hmm. yeah, I guess it's just so complicated with that willingness component. um, Yeah. When you call it sex trafficking and and I believe it is sex trafficking, people are being exploited, but it makes it so difficult Mm -hmm. to really uh, discern, I guess is,
2: yeah, so we, when you, in sex trafficking work, we actually have what we call willing victims. And so it's kind of, you know, like that one that was trafficked out of the mall and, you know, she was prepared and, and put into the sex industry and she was, she was 15 and um, she actually calls herself a willing victim mm-hmm. and says that I was kind of empowered by the fact that I could make this money, wow. but then all of a sudden the money was not mine. Mm -hmm. and I didn't have a better life, and I was malnourished, and all these things started happening, and then she was rescued, but she really attributes a lot of that to kind of like our society, and how we just have sexualized young people. She says, you know, I thought that's what my body was for when I was 15. Like, it was so normal to me um, that I didn't understand that there was a better way for me. I didn't understand that that's not really what I was made for or built for,
0: Yeah.
2: Oh, there's there's so many like societal issues with that, and I think that also is the reason why we have s- such problems prosecuting um, these traffickers because you know we even have police officers that are confused um, by who's a victim and who's not, especially when they won't talk, when they won't say, "Hey, I was victimized," um, and it appears that they're there because they want to be there. And something that I think I've told. Hillary before, is that um, if someone is under the age of 18, so the the United States government says that anyone under 18 in the sex industry is a trafficking victim. So we are talking about a human trafficking victim um, if you fall under that 18 category, right? Because you're being lured into that. And most of them are being um, told that, hey, if you leave me, then I'm gonna go hurt your family. So they are threatened. A lot of times they're threatened at gunpoint. They're threatened with, I won't feed you, you won't eat, you cannot leave. Um, They also move them around so much that they kinda lose track of their their family or where they are. So they'll move them even within the same state several times and buy them and sell them several times. And then um, move them across state lines like the average trafficking victim moves across three or four state lines Um, within the first couple of months uh, before they actually end up in one place in the sex industry. Um, So they're, they're bought and sold all the time and they kind of, some of them don't even really know or understand where they are because they're just put in a car and told, you know, this is where you're going to go and then they move them back and forth. So I think at first maybe they are willing to go because they do want better things. They are promising things but you're also talking about most of the time it being a child or an adolescent. And, you know, there, there's so much developmental things that go along with that stage of life. And you can't really see past what's right now, and what's gratifying at the moment. And then you get in that situation and you're stuck and, you know, you're there. So you have all these, these prostitutes, right, out in the sex industry. They've been prostitutes a long time and the average prostitute started prostitution at the age of 12. Wow. About the majority of prostitutes who are there willingly at the moment at one time was lured there when they were 12 years old and they've been doing this their whole life. There's a component of this is all I have. And this is all I know. Mm, Um, And in order to survive, you know, the mind kind of switches from victim to, well, this is what I do because yeah. this it's a survival. It's a coping mechanism that they have. Yeah. Um. So now they're willing to be there because they were forced to. So why act like you're forced? Why, why say you're a victim? So there's a transition period. And I kind of have a hard time with the law of saying that we have a trafficking victim if they're under 18, because the day they turn 18, all of a sudden,
1: yeah, it yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah, there, there's <laughs>
2: there, there's a big yeah that's a, a big issue for me, and and I I just have a problem with oh well one day we're a victim and the day after that we're not anymore, and so now we look at all these people and say they're not victims just because they're over the age of eighteen yeah 18 a month. and so with an adult for the government to prosecute they have to actually prove they were victimized wow. So they have to go in and, you know, tell the police, this is what happened. This is how Uh, I was recruited. Um, They promised me stuff. They forced me at gunpoint. They have to prove that they were forced into the industry in order for their John to be prosecuted on trafficking charges. And, you know, what's crazy
0: is even just current events wise, I've heard that New York and um, their uh maybe Baltimore somewhere is trying to change laws to where um, sex workers, quote unquote, will no mm-hmm. longer even be prosecuted. And so um, it's kind of like, well, then after 18, it's like free game, I guess at that point. And so I can just imagine that those new
2: laws are going to yeah, impact I, that. I even mean, more. just how much that would complicate what we're already trying to do. Yeah. Um, to be able to say, we're just not going to prosecute anybody after 18, you know, it's just free reign, but I don't know. It's just, there's just so many issues legally with the whole thing, which is, you know, that, that lady that I worked with, um, her name was Ashley Chapman. That's a lot of the stuff that she was trying to do was work on the legal aspects. And actually because of her, the state of Texas, the governor is requiring all schools to implement um, anti-trafficking stuff and they hired someone within the state and that's all she does. That's
0: great.
1: Wow. Yeah. So let's back up a little bit, I guess. uh, Uh, so how big is human trafficking and what, what fuels it?
2: Okay. So how big is it? We're, we're talking about billions and billions of dollars. Um, I think when I first started doing you know, some looking at it, 2016, it was around 32 billion dollars a year that it brought in. 32 and
0: billion with a B. 32 billion with a B. Yes, per and year. And that's in the U.S. or? That's that's going to
2: be worldwide. Okay.
1: So that's worldwide. like money spent <laughs> for prostitutes. You know, the that's how much is being spent to purchase. Um,
2: right. To purchase a person. Yes. Okay. Wow. So it's. It, Between 2016 and 2019, I think is the last time I checked, it went from an estimated 32 billion to 150 billion dollars a year worldwide. Wow. Jump, really huge jump. And you're also talking about estimates. So we people who work in the the human trafficking industry believe that it's highly underestimated cost-wise. Um, and how much it's bringing in because you're talking about money that we know about and victims, 99% of victims, we never rescue them. They're gone. so, um, you're talking about that. We know factual money. There's so much that goes on underneath and underground that we don't know about. We're really just, we're just throwing out an estimate out there and it's, it's probably much more than that. Wow.
0: So what would you say are some of the main things that fuel it? Like that's a huge industry.
2: It is a huge industry. So um, the pornography industry is going to be our number one fueling source. Um, I guess a couple of years ago, I wrote an article on how pornography is connected to human trafficking and some of the stuff that I looked up there, I had to take a break from writing it, actually, uh, because some of that stuff was just too much. It was really dark. And me and my writing partner, we just kind of decided we were going to take a, a break for a couple months. But yeah. we really looked at a lot of um, FBI data. Um, I saw some images that I don't, I don't think I can ever erase out of my mind. But um, the, I just learned some things about pornography. So we're uh, the dark web. Um, you can buy a person for $60 a minute, live feed of a person, $60 a minute. Um, people pay it and they're hard to track because one, it's on the dark web Two, they change locations all the time. So the FBI may know where they're at, but they'll pack up and move, you know, they'll move their stuff somewhere else. So they're, they're hard and they don't move like down the road or to another city, they move across the world. They will Mm. go overseas somewhere. So this is a, you know, that's a a huge issue for catching these predators. And when we're talking about who they're, they're buying and selling, um, there's some terminology that's used out there and they use like um, colleagues, the younger the better so the um, most sought after after is under 12 and it's live feed so they are they're watching these young people uh, be victimized on live feed wow so yeah it's 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 a rough thing i think i saw um the fbi helped over in Asia, so Southeast Asia is a huge, because of the red light district, you know, we're talking about like 40 kilometers of just solid trafficking um, up there in the red light district. And so they, uh, there's a lot of that that goes on over there. And one of the live feed, the FBI was able to help catch a live feed member that was over in Asia because it was being streamed to the United States. And so, you know, some of the purchasers were here in the United States. And when they when they raided his warehouse that he had, it was, you know, kind of a building as old, brick, um, abandoned. And they found, I don't know, like 20 children, young children, five, six years old in there. Um, But then they found a bunch of shoes. And so the shoes were all in there and they said, who do these shoes belong to? And the kids said, well, they didn't make it. So indicating that he had, eventually when he was done with them, he he killed um, the young children when he was finished.
0: Wow. So in, here in just a second, we want to start talking about some Gen Z specific stuff. But before mm-hmm. we get into that, I think some people listening, it's like, gosh, pornography addictions are so common. Mm-hmm. And I think some people listening could be thinking like, oh, well, I'm not renting you know, anybody on the dark web, I'm just Mm -hmm. watching it or or something. Um, I don't, I don't Mm -hmm. know what they might be thinking. Um, but what would you say to people who, um, you know, might not be doing this dark web stuff, but still are watching Mm -hmm. pornography and stuff like that as far as sex trafficking goes? Yeah.
1: Or even so. I was going to say, even people, like, we've heard people say, um, yeah, pornography, it's fine, like, for married couples to look at and learn how to have sex. and
2: Like, it's not hurting anybody, I yeah, guess that's is our, what, our point. Mm-hmm.
1: What would you say?
2: Okay, so I will say this, like, there's a lot of pornography out there that's even streamed on your cable that um, uses, they they claim that they're 18, but they, you know, they don't really check that stuff, and so there's a lot of underage girls that are that are put in there and like I said under 18 you're automatically a victim and there are a lot of young girls um, used in pornography film um, outside of dark web like you're talking about your your film industry when it comes to pornography there's if you look on um on the internet there's a dirty dozen list It's not just about food, but there's a dirty dozen list um, associated with human trafficking. And these are organizations that in some way you as a consumer are putting money into the industry. So Verizon was on there a few years ago. They've been taken off and Hilton Hotels used to be on there as well. And that's because the pornography that was allowed to be streamed into a Hilton Hotel room or the pornography that, um, you know, you could rent on a Verizon if you're a Verizon cable, um, you know, user the a lot of their pornography had underage girls in there, and even had themes associated with trafficking or slavery. So they would have these slavery themes, these trafficking themes um, within their filming and so They were placed on these dirty dozen lists. It's it's released every year, a new one. Walmart's been on there. We're talking major corporations. So Hilton actually made changes. Um, They also still have some issues with it because they cannot fully control um, the pornography that's streamed into their rooms. Right. So it's, it's hard to watch. So you as a consumer... Um, putting money into these, these industries. You know, I think when Hilton was on the dirty dozen list, um, I actually uh, presented on trafficking at a conference that was in a Hilton. So that was a little bit ironic. And I was like, listen, guys, here we are. Um, And this is what's going on in these hotel rooms that you're in. So um, be a good consumer of organizations and products yeah. Because you never know where that money is being filtered into. And it's not just the dark web. It is the pornography that you're able to run.
0: Say that one more time. You froze for a second. The pornography what?
2: Oh, that that you rent on your normal cable company or that you stream on YouTube or whatever it may be. Yeah.
1: Yeah, We watched this video. I think it's called Nefarious, I think. And, yeah. And uh, when we were in... Kansas City, where, we're, yeah, I was at training. And, and, uh, yeah, it was hit on the idea that, hey, if there's no consumers, if there's nobody to watch pornography, there's no reason to traffic these women and make videos of them.
0: No, and supply and demand. If the yeah. demand is not there, then the supply is not needed. So,
1: and so it's like the real heinous, you know, sin is really the consumer. You it know, is. The, the man watching pornography or, or woman. Or woman, right? And so, uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that was that was big for me to get it. You know, that's the you know, let's, you kind of put the blame where you know blame goes and it, it's on the consumer, you know, to a large yeah. degree. And yeah. so not entirely, but I'd say, yeah, it's definitely yeah. on him.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it, it's it's a greedy industry. The whole thing is fueled on greed. The mm-hmm. whole thing is money and and getting that money. And without the consumer, they wouldn't have money. That's right. But You know, I I always talk about how we're raising our little boys um, and little girls, but the majority of these um, individuals who purchase pornography and who purchase prostitutes and things, the majority is males. And so how are we raising our little boys? What are we doing societal wise uh, to teach them to grow up like good good godly men you know how are we doing that yeah
0: that's good so i mean there's so much that could be said about that but we do want to switch gears here for just a second um Mm -hmm. as we wrap up you know you've done a lot of studies and research on gen z specifically and Mm -hmm. them being trafficked so we want to get into that but first off Can you tell us who are Gen Zs? Because we're millennials, and I feel like a lot of the people are putting, like, the bad rep on millennials, but it actually goes towards Gen Zs, not just about sex trafficking,
2: but in general. So, can you just tell us who are Gen Zs? Okay, Gen Zs, they're all the way, they're in college right now, and they're little kids. Okay. So, uh, we have, we also have, I would say, the first couple of years of Gen Z have already probably graduated college. Okay. So yes they are we're right in smack in the middle of gen z okay so like babies born now they're
0: gen z's our sweet little ellie gen z
2: yeah poor gen z all right well
0: <laughs> tell us then what's different about gen z's what makes gen z's a little bit more susceptible to being trafficked
2: um there's a lot of things so i'll tell you a little bit about uh, maybe some of the research that I did. So it was focused on the difference between millennials and Gen Z and just kind of how the generational changes have made them more susceptible to sex trafficking and what that means for us societal wise. Um, but part of my research identified like seven seven categories that make some more susceptible. And basically, it's changes from one generation to the other. And I'll, I'll go into a couple of those things. But um, the seven categories are parenting, they're parented different. Yeah. Um, technology looks different. So you are talking about the generation who's never known anything without technology, whereas like, I'm, I'm a millennial, um, but I'm the very first year of millennials. So we are the kind of the creators of the social media and the you know we started off analog and we went into the digital age so there's right. there's a, a period of millennials that is a transition period between the two so they don't know what it's like to be without social media or technology um, their risk-taking behavior is looks a lot different than millennials um they're you know, poverty is kind of the only thing that I found that has stayed the same. The cycle of poverty just is the cycle of poverty. And so it doesn't ever really change. Um, mental illness looks a lot different in um, Gen Z and uh, their personal achievement, how they view being, you know, view achievement in themselves and then kind of like their their sexuality and stuff was all so much different
0: yeah. than uh, millennials. Okay. So... I mean, we're we're gonna unpack this a lot next week um, on the the second part. But what would you say? Would you, I mean? Maybe you just said it. It's social media and the technology. But what would you say are some of the your main thoughts on the like what's contributing to the overall mental health of Gen Z's and and the susceptibility?
2: So I would say the two main things, and the thing that I saw overlap between everything that I found was, um, parenting and technology. So those are, those are the two main, I would say, culprits of what's kind of affecting mental health. Um, when you talk about Gen Z and some of the struggles that they're having, it's just, things just look different for them. The world is different. The parenting is different. And so, you know, it's almost like a lot of parents don't know how to handle Gen Z. They're, they're, they're different yeah so i I would say those two things are going to be the main the main culprits associated with all of the risk factors okay yeah and that's
0: like that's really good to know you're saying their whole world looks different mainly around technology Mm -hmm. and parenting and so i think that's a good place to to put pause on for now we can pick Mm up next week um but just to kind of, to sum it all up, it sounds like we're saying that Gen Z's are the most susceptible generation. Mm-hmm. Um, Gen Z's have been exposed to technology literally their whole life. And then sounds like most of the time, or all the time, I guess now, it's millennials parenting the Gen Z's. And so we as millennials just don't know how to handle parenting them. And so a lot of them are struggling in their mental health and, That's where we want to pick back up. We want to have Dr. Humphreys back next week to discuss some of the practical applications for parenting Gen Zs. So we thank you for being with us, Dr. Humphreys, and we look forward to having you back next week.
2: All right. Thank you. Thank
0: you.
1: Thank you for listening to Reclaiming Families.
0: Check us out at reclaimingfamilies.org where you can find our latest podcasts, blogs, news and events.
1: We look forward to seeing you all next time.